0: I'm your host, Mr. You. Welcome back to the all-purpose pod for an all-purpose life. Wherever you are today, however you listen to the Call Me Mr. You the podcast. Thank you again for making us a small part of your morning, your day, and your week. With your weekly mirror check before you go change the world, baby. If you're following us on social media, follow us on Facebook at TCM Mr. U. On the Twitter machine at CallMeMrU, M-I-S-T-A-Y-U, or on our new platforms, Good pause where you can rate and review every episode, anytime, anywhere, as much as you like, or wherever you get your podcast from. Support is greatly appreciated. Thank you again for joining our show. Let's go ahead and jump into our episode for today. Uh, the topic today is friend to the end. Man, I think I know what you're thinking. You talk about friendship a lot. Facts, I do. To be fair, friendship, relationship are really important. Not just to me, but they're important to God. I'll show you how. Friendship and accounts of it are used in the Bible more than 50 times. That's not a coincidence. I even challenge that number. I think it's a lot higher. Relationships are described more than twice that amount. Love itself is mentioned 500 And 51 times in scripture Now there's a takeaway This early in the show It is that these themes Matter very much to your host But they even matter even more To God himself So I'm off the hook, don't at me This ain't about me Seriously though, most every Bible story That people can remember Whether they're religious or not Whether they're devout or not Whether they're faithful or not Are stories about relationships Why does that matter? Why is that even relevant? Why are we even talking about that today? I'll try to explain why. Because I don't care where you are in your life. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you're on a success journey. I don't care if you're trying to rise up the professional ladder. I don't care if you are a a fiction book writer or fiction book reader. I don't care if you just hate books. Whatever you do, wherever you are, whatever you're involved with, relationships are at the core of it. Most of the stress and the drama and the angst that we go through in life is because of relationships. That's the bottom line. It's about that in every area of our lives. Everything is tied to relationships. It's a common thread that runs through every single one of our lives, no matter where we are geographically, whether we are, wherever we are on the socioeconomical scale, relationships run everything, they drive everything. They're the cause and root for everything. Case in point, Adam and Eve. That was about relationship. They were joined at the hip or the rib, if you prefer. And what happened to one happened to the other. They were a package deal. Their decision was tied directly to their relationship. How Adam and Eve communicated and understood God's instruction was a factor. Let us not forget, once the first bite of the fruit was taken, what happened next? It was passed to a partner relationship about Cain and Abel for some reason children seem to recall this story more than most not really sure why it was not a pretty picture no matter what version of Bible you decide to read it's not a pretty picture it was clearly about a a relationship that was destroyed two brothers same advantages same opportunities two totally different responses to said opportunity as a result Of one of those choices, death stepped into the picture and destroyed a relationship. And the list goes on and on. Countless examples of relationship in scripture. Joseph and his brothers. A very long story. Moses leading Israel out of Egypt and out of bondage. Jonah in the belly of the great fish. Peter walking on water. Jesus remaining on the cross when ideally he could have gotten down if he wanted to. I'm sure there are more stories you can recall, but show me one that isn't tied to the premise of relationship. I don't think you can do it. It's clearly something that God cares about. So if we know that to be so, which and now there should be no doubt, but if we know that, answer this for me. Why is it that it doesn't rise to the top of the priority list for us or so many of us? Why does it not rise to the top of the priority list? I mean, most of us probably have at least one friend. I hope so. The rest may be struggling to understand what that looks like. So they kind of just drift around the earth like relational free agents, you know, waiting to get drafted to the first round pick or picked up in free agency or just somebody that liked them and join them and, and, and roll with them. Some have so many friends that they can't even count them all. They never have a weekend free in 52 weeks out of the year because they always invited to a party or they're babysitting, or doing something else that involves a lot of people. How wonderful friendship looks at times, huh? I got questions, though. What's your idea of true friendship? I'd love to hear your responses to that question. What is your idea of true friendship? Give me a scenario. What does that look like to you? If you don't mind sharing your thoughts with us, hit us up on our Twitter page at U. C-A-L-L-M-E-E-M-I-S-T-A-Y-U at Call Me Mr. U, Or you can hit us up on our Facebook post where the podcast is listed at TCM Mr. U, or on our new platform, Good Pods, which is the only one of the podcast platforms that you can do this with. If you download the app today, you can jump onto our podcast feed. And you can answer this question there and we'll definitely see it and respond back to it promptly. But here's my question again. What is your idea of true friendship? What are your specific requirements? What makes a potential friend eligible for friendship with you? How much time has to pass before a person can be given friendship credentials? How much of the past is factored into your present decision to create a friendship or build on a friendship? How much of a clean slate does a candidate for friendship receive from you? These are important questions. I'll ask them all again. Grab the one that kind of moves you and you can jump into our social media platforms or on good pods and share your thoughts. But what's your idea of true friendship? What are your specific requirements? What makes a potential friend eligible for friendship with you? Not somebody else, but with you. How much time must pass before a person can be given friendship credentials? How much of the past is factored into your current decision to add a friend to your life? How much of a clean slate does the candidate get from you for friendship? The apostle Peter was ready to fight people. He reportedly cut off a soldier's ear and swore that he would go to jail or die for his master. But when the time came to stand with him, he bailed. Peter would even deny him three times. He said, I don't know the man. Never heard of him. After all those years, all those times. This is no condemnation of Peter. But the point I'm trying to make is that many may have done the same thing given the circumstances. People have left their friends hanging for lesser things. People have forgotten their oath and their vows and their promises to people because they were busy or they had something else, quote unquote, better to do. It just makes you think about what it really means to be a friend to the end. What does that mean to you, to be a friend to the end? You hear terms like ride or die and and friend to the end, but what does it really mean? Are these just cool words that we're just throwing out, or do they have any kind of value for us? Do they resonate for us at all? Do they mean more than just a catchphrase you put on a T-shirt or coffee mug? Do they mean anything? Is it something you can see in your daily life in your daily routine? That you are consistently doing all the time? Or is it something that just kind of comes and goes? It's challenging to take this for granted when it clearly means so much to the Lord, right? We already established that part. If ever there were numerous accounts of relationship, it seemed to happen much in the time of Jesus Christ for some reason. I don't think that was coincidental though. Much of Jesus' message while on earth was that the Father intended for his people to return. To intimate relationship with him. As it was in the garden. So will it be again I guess. Is one way of looking at it. Most if not all of his parables. Were about relationships. His teaching the disciples. Were about relationship. They were men whom he approached. About walking with him. In relationship. That said I want to go with you. But first I got to handle this business. I don't know how long it's going to take. But I'll catch up with you. As soon as I'm ready. i see you there. I'll be there. And there were people who watched Jesus perform miracles and followed him practically everywhere that he went. How many of those people were in the crowd that said, crucify him? See, friendship matters to God. Relationship matters to the Lord. How many of those witnesses saw him scourged and crucified but didn't say a word? Relationships matter to the Lord. He's always talking about connection. And staying attached to the vine, not leaving him, not separating yourself from him, but staying attached to him. He's all about loving you and all about relationship with you. Jesus was nearly surrounded by crowds of people every place that he ever traveled. You were just part of his daily discipline, but he went away alone a lot to faraway mountains and and fields to pray. He probably just needed a break to recharge and regroup. The crowds were there to not only witness, but to receive food and to receive healing and whatnot. Being part of the next big thing takes a lot of work, doesn't it? There's always a crowd of friends and raving fans. Who did the crowd that cheered for his death consist of? The Bible doesn't really talk about that in great detail. Who was out there hollering? Who was out there saying crucify him? Who was that? Did Jesus heal any of their relatives? Did they witness Jairus' daughter come back to life? Maybe Jesus actually healed one of them that cheered and joined in with the crowd screaming for blood. Who actually joined in the chorus of crucify him, crucify him? See, I'm bringing this up for a reason. These may be friends who were influenced by peer pressure. Perhaps they were fearful of what their friends and family might think. So they disassociated themselves. Maybe they chose family tradition over this new doctrine they believed Jesus was bringing. It could even be that they were riding the wave of another popular movement. It was now popular to say crucify him and join with the crowd. I guess that one called himself the son of God. Perhaps that was the next popular movement. Be careful of the popular movements. Be careful of where the crowd goes. The Bible says in the book of Matthew in the 7th chapter that broad is the path to destruction. Everybody follows it. Narrow is the way to life. Very few even find out where that is. Something to think about. How many of those that were jeering Jesus at his lowest point once said amen to his teachings? See, we talk about relationship and we don't treat it with the respect that it deserves. And we're casual about it. We think everybody loves us. Everybody down with us. Until they're not I'm sure somebody said It a time or two before But be wary of those that are With you in good times But abandon you in bad times so I think somewhere in our minds We don't believe this will what happened to us It could be ego It could be a little bit of pride mixed in I don't know what it is But what I want to do is End this episode with one of the greatest models of friendship And relationship in my opinion In all of scripture Aside from Jesus Christ and his people. David and Jonathan. Now, no one should fault me for for talking about this over Naomi and Ruth or Moses and Aaron or Elijah and Elisha. These are all incredible models of friendship and relationship. They're all unique in their own way. They're historic in many different ways. But this story of David and Jonathan, I just can't put it to the side. It deserves all the discussion that it warrants, and it, it's like it's unlike anything in Scripture. It's unique, like the others are, but perhaps maybe more relatable than the others are, in some ways. People who don't even read the Bible spend their entire lives aspiring to have a friendship like this. My own neighborhood lived by a cold when it came to friendships. If you came from an inner city, you might relate to this. It was considered a matter of life and death in a lot of ways. It meant that much to honor your word and never turn your back on your brothers. Some of that was formed out of uh, insecurity and manipulation, just to be fair, but it was considered a matter of life and death. I mean that kind of literally. And even in all of that, it still pales in comparison to the story of David and Jonathan. Would you agree that this is the essence of friendship? Would you agree? Loving another like you should love yourself is one of those passages that don't quite make it to the pulpits much these days. But man's is to still resonate? The idea of friend to the end applies to Elijah and Elisha too. And Naomi and Ruth, literally. Let me tell you what Jonathan did for his friend. Jonathan stripped himself of the power and position that, he, that was right, rightfully his and gave it to his friend instead. I don't know a whole bunch of these friends I hear all over Instagram, hugged up and whatnot that would do that for one another. Everybody's good as long as everybody's at the same level. Unless somebody in that circle try to rise up a little higher, people start getting in their feelings. It's a little bit different there. Jonathan had a right to be in his feelings, but he wasn't. He gave his best friend everything because he loved him. Jonathan was the son of a king. In short, when the current king, who was Saul, transfers a throne by death, I guess, he is the rightful heir, right? He was years from inheriting an entire kingdom, theoretically speaking. To make matters worse, Jonathan's father was the current king, and he had a serious issue with David, Jonathan's best friend. So it was incredible and unexpected that Jonathan would be best friends with David anyways, when his father saw David as his mortal enemy. Interesting, said the dynamics there. 1 Samuel 18 described their friendship like this. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And not only that, Jonathan was more loyal to his friend David than he was to his own father, who wanted David, a threat to his throne, dead. This is also proof and even the best relationships don't start off with the greatest set of circumstances. It's not always perfect. What's also incredible about this friendship is that this fantastic example of male friendship has often disappeared from our culture. Hard to find men forming bonds like that these days. We talk about it, but we never get it done. We plan stuff informally, but it never gets on the calendar, never gets on paper, so it never happens. Forming bonds like this isn't easy for the modern man, which makes this even more awe-inspiring, at least in my opinion. Men that have daddy issues don't always know how to develop relationships when they haven't had the context to do so, right? These kinds of issues are the kind that Jonathan and David understand better than most. I mean, think about it. Saul called Jonathan a son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Ouch. Ouch. Jesse didn't even see David as valuable enough to call him all when Prophet Samuel came, sent by God, to call all of Jesse's sons. It didn't cross Jesse's mind to bring all of his sons. He left David in the field. I guess, theoretically, where he belonged in his mind. It didn't cross his mind that God would want him to be the next king. Proverbs 17 and 17 says, or it really offers a provoking image of friendship and brotherhood It reads, a friend loves at all times And a brother is born For a time of adversity So what does that mean? What's the lesson here? Friends must be constant For each other at all times If it's not Constant, it's not Authentic friendship i read that Proverbs again 17 and 17, a friend loves at all times And a brother is born For a time of adversity Christ is the model of what relationships should be. John 13 and 1 says, Christ is a friend that loves at all times. Literally, Jonathan and David were brothers born for adversity. The friends that tell you how pretty your hair is and how cute you look in your new alphabet, in your new, alphabet, in your new outfit, excuse me, might have value in some instances, but the friends that hold you up when you're in your worst moments and they don't leave you or you at your weakest are invaluable. That's David. That's Jonathan. Literally only death would separate them. And even after that happened, their friendship still prevailed. It still lived on to the next generation, to the next generation. That's what real friendship looks like. At least it should. Is that what you have? With all your friends from Instagram? Are you a friend to the end? Are you a ride or die? Wherever you are today, how have you listened to the podcast for the people? Thank you again for making a call me Mister U. It's a small part of your morning, your day, and your week. We your weekly mirror check before you go change the world. We love to hear your thoughts on our questions today from our episode. Follow us on Facebook at TCM Mister U or on the Twitter machine at Call Me Mister U or on your favorite podcast platforms i highly recommend good Pods, where you can rate and review every episode free as much as you want anytime you want any season you want to comment on we'd love to hear your thoughts on our questions from today's show once again enjoy the music coach out